anyway, that's an update for you. Um, <laughs> what do the people need to know about skills, Matt? Skills. Wow, that's a good that's a good one to talk about. Um, all right. So I think in the past we've talked about the conditioning side of fitness, and most people see the relevance of that, and other people see strength is very important, just not just for fitness, but for health generally. It's you want to be stronger, joint range of motion, bone density. These things all predict high quality of life and high quantity of life, which I think is the bottom line that we're all kind of chasing after. So the, the skills conversation is a bit more specific to uh, fitness athletes or to people who do functional fitness, because people who just want to be strong and well-conditioned never really need to do a toes to bar, but you'll enhance your fitness by learning these skills, the, the coordination, the balance, the agility that they bring are uh, you know, useful both for competitors and for general health. So I think it's worth talking about. And um, as somebody who started CrossFit a long time ago and, and walked into a gym and didn't couldn't do what these other people were doing. Like toes to bar seems so easy now. But when I first saw it, I was like, wow, that, how do you do more than one? You know, it's like, okay. So what that teaches you is there is like a mechanical process, which you optimize to get better at these things. And that's true for, you know, anything from like a wall ball, which seems simple, but turns out you can be bad at them all the way up to like, strict muscle up there is actually a way to do it so there's a technical aspect of it then there's a fitness aspect of it and so like most other people and probably you and anybody who's unlucky enough to watch this you look online for like other coaches like oh this guy can teach you about muscle ups or this this girl can teach you about walking on your hands or like who can i learn from and to be clear i'm not taking any of our videos in this direction because i'm not a gymnast and i've learned it from watching other coaches who are better at it than i am and people should go find those coaches. I'm talking more about how skills development plays a role in fitness and how as athletes or coaches, you can integrate skills training into your workouts for maximum benefit, both fitness-wise and as a competitor. And I, I think we're all kind of after that. And I know like the programs I've done with you and the stuff you send out, there's a lot of dedicated skills work in there. It's critical. How do you go about assessing whether an athlete as a, a strength limitation or a technical limitation that's keeping them from accomplishing whatever the skill is? So that's a good question. If they have a, like a, a body weight strength limitation, you'll usually see it appear across multiple skills. So it's like, all right, you know, we do an intake sheet where we ask about maximum sets and we ask for some, you know, actual qualitative feedback as well. But you can sort of look at the the maximum sets and get a sense of what the limitations are. So you get the people who've been doing CrossFit for a while, 30 toes to bar, 30 chest to bar. All right, fine. We'll come back to how to deal with them in the future. But then you, you get the other extreme, two toes to bar, one chest to bar, zero muscle ups, three handstand pushups. That's almost always a strength limitation. Um, not always, but when you see multiple shortcomings like that, multiple not yet achieved skills, it's probably there's a strength issue. And the other thing you do, it sounds ridiculously simple, ask the athlete. Like if you see an athlete that can do 100 push-ups unbroken and zero handstand push-ups, it's not a strength limitation. But most of the time, you'll see it across the board, like no ring dips, you know, does long sets of push-ups on their knees, can't do handstand push-ups. All right, cool. That's a strength problem. The other things you see, which, which indicate a technical issue are like a massive, you know, like, a, like an imbalance. So like 19 strict pull-ups three toes to bar, right? Like that athlete is probably just not technically sound. Now you won't know on a remote intake unless you actually watch them on video. 
But when you look at the data and you see, all right, wow, longest set of push-ups, 80. Longest set of strict pull-ups, 23. Like you're in the Marines, you're great at this stuff. But like can't do handstand push-ups or does four. That's a technical issue, not a strength issue. So it's usually just, you know, you look at the different data points and say, all right, what am I working with and what's the right way to get started? I just want to talk about one of the things that I notice a lot when it comes yeah, to gymnastic advice mm-hmm. or fitness competitors Yeah, coming from, I just see a lot of former gymnasts who come from that application and teach people how to handstand walk or teach people how to right. on the rings. It's like, well, the, up, the uprise on the rings is not what's rewarded in the sport. Right word in the sport is like getting above the rings as efficiently as possible with as little yeah. as possible. So yeah. it's not, so I see a lot of this beautifully gymnastic, beautifully gymnastically virtuous stuff getting shared on Instagram or on the internet. Oh, it's beautiful. I can't stop watching it. Yeah. Right. But it's being shared as the beacon for mm-hmm. crossfitters. And it's like, well, you know, yeah, Rich Froning like looks like a scorpion when he handstand walks, but he can walk 200 feet like unbroken. Was, uh, yeah, that's so, right. That's right. Walk across the football field like that's the application. That's what's valued. So I posted about this a couple of weeks ago, and my point is just that I see a lot of another example is the tripod position in the handstand pushup. Mm-hmm. Like you've got to get into this, you know, tripod position because it works your delts more. It transfers to planche more. Well, you don't planche in CrossFit. So it's like, you know, the, the, what's valued is a bigger set of strict handstand pushups. That's what's valued. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, whenever you do any strict press, as soon as you can get your humerus further back behind you, you have more leverage to press. That's right. Which is why in a dumbbell press, you don't, you don't Arnold press it, right? Right, right. You bring it back here so because you have more leverage. And yeah. as soon as the barbell clears your face, you get it back. So my point is, if you're doing strict handstand push-ups, maybe this beautiful right-angle tripod position is not what you're, what you're actually looking for. Right. You know, that would, you know, transfer to your planche more, mm-hmm. which is valued in gymnastics. Mm-hmm. That's not valued in the sport. So I think just cutting through that and seeing it's not about looking good with pointed toes. It's a different beacon. It's a a different uh, value. Yeah. That over the long term, that may change, but that long term could be like 10 to 15 years where the athletes growing up in the sport will adapt to it because it happens in their real time careers. So there's one guy, uh, Ben Smith's younger brother, I don't remember his name though. Alex Smith. Alec, I think. Is that Ben Smith's brother? Or his name just no, I think it's his brother. Yeah. He was a gymnast. And his CrossFit gymnastics are just really good. So there was a workout, I think it was, you know, cleans and bar muscle ups. And everybody's pretty strong and they're doing the cleans. And his like, you know, fifth set of bar muscle ups, he's just floating up and down. And it's like, it's beautiful. So if you do have that background, it can be advantageous. But the training time commitment to go from like the level of functionality that Rich Froning has for a handstand walk 
versus what like a competitive gymnast can do. The amount of training is a poor payoff on training time. So unless it turns into like hold the handstand for as long as you can becomes a staple of CrossFit, unlike the one time we did it in the virtual games, right? And you need to be able to hold that five minute handstand like most gymnasts can do. It's not a great payoff on training time. Totally agree. And then the other point I think you were making was that at competition speed, things break down and you can apply that to any sport, basketball, guys get a jump shot off against a defender. It's not how they'd shoot in the empty gym. Baseball, you got a, you got two strikes on, you got to swing for a pitch that you don't know if it's a ball or a strike, you have time to think about it. It's not the swing you want to teach your kids, but that's competition speed. You have to adjust. If you're adjusting from a solid foundation, then you can make those adjustments. The, the ways you get into trouble, which I think you talked about as well, is when you're, when you're adjusting without a solid foundation, you're, you're teaching yourself bad habits and that's never good. But I think the point about gymnastics virtuality versus uh, virtuosity versus CrossFit functionality is spot on. They're different things. Yeah. And Absolutely. having a gymnastic background is hugely, is one of the best backgrounds you can have. Oh, it's great. It's great. Yeah, yeah. it's great. I wish I had it in a way, but with my body type, I would be a crappy gymnast. So, yeah. A couple more examples. I heard Chris Sommer, who's a, like, world-renowned gymnastics coach, Mm -hmm. uh, gymnastic bodies. Mm -hmm. Uh, Anyway, he said, you know, he he was speaking of CrossFit, and he was like, there's no iron crosses in CrossFit. Right. And it's like, well, that's not valued. So it's like, no one's trying to do iron crosses. You know, it's, it's not like, and I know he's criticizing the methodology, but that's just another example of, he's like still, he's like trying to give, speak to CrossFit from his paradigm and so connected to his background and and where it comes from. I will tell you that you mentioned his website, Gymnastic Bodies. I have done some of their programs and they're very, very hard. Now they're hard because I'm a middle-aged guy who's never been a gymnast and I'm over six feet tall, but they're, but they're still very rigorous. And um, I don't usually like to get into promoting other stuff on here because I, I think it devalues what we do, but his stuff is worth checking out. If you really want to learn gymnastics, gymnastics, not CrossFit gymnastics. Oh, yeah. if you want to learn how to planch. If you want to learn how to do, you know, a Victorian, that's the guy to talk to. Um, yeah. Or it's one of the guys to talk to. It's certainly far beyond what happens in CrossFit, but no, I, I I actually checked out some of his stuff because I wanted to deepen my expertise as a coach. And I said, like, all right, some of these drills like planch leans and some other stuff, you know, tuck levers. I'll program that occasionally for people, but it's not so they can hold a five minute lever or so they can planch on the rings. It's because a little bit of extra upper body and core strength carries over to CrossFit. And it's the same kind of thing. It's really, I think in the first video we ever made, we talked about this, like how do you apportion your training time and chasing virtuosity even beyond what's virtuosity in CrossFit, I think is a, a poor application of training time. Unless you happen to have that background and you have it already, then God bless you. You're going to have a lot of fun on some CrossFit events. All right. There's one more example mm-hmm. I want to say, but um, that's all right. We'll get back to it or I'll, I'll remember it or I won't, but um, okay. So, what is valued in the sport? We talked about what is not valued in the sport. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Demonstrations of like beautifully powerful uprises on the rings or, um, you know, immaculate handstand walking with, right. you know, perfect you know, right. hands. Yep. 
Yep. Totally totally pointed everything. Yeah. Yeah. Very little, you know, excess extension. Like, yep. like, well, you know, I've seen Rich walk pretty fast. You know, it's yeah. like you look great doing it, yeah. but how fast can you do 200 feet like that? Right. Right. Rich might be able to do it faster. He might. Yeah. Like he, he might. So um, he can't, he definitely can't hold a freestanding handstand as long as you can, but he might be able to walk faster. Right. Right. No, I agree. Leading over more, you know, so yeah. um, that, that was the first point I wanted to make. And then, so th- we need to make a distinction between what CrossFit values and regardless of what we think about it, and what we want the sport to value, we have to recognize what it does value. That's right. That's right. Which is, you know, it used to be 30 ring muscle-ups, then it was 40. Now yes. it's, you know. Right, and, right, right. Um, and it's like, well, when do we, you know, it was a it was 100 pull-ups, now it's 200 pull-ups, now it's yep. 300 pull-ups. Right, what, right, right. Where right. do we stop with that? You know, yeah, like, yeah. you know, yeah. our hands can't take it anymore, you know. Right, 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 right. Everybody finishes the event and they look like they, you know, Come on, think, help me with an analogy. Good. Finished Hell Week, walked out of a burning building. I don't know. You know, right. we're in a bad car accident. I'm trying to help you out here. Um, yeah, you're picking yeah. up glass with your bare hands or something. Like, right, right. You know, right. It's like, yeah. when do we like start to value yeah. anything else? Right, 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 right. right. And the freestanding handstand and, you know, the freestanding handstand push ups were an attempt, but they're, they're, we're trying to move towards just like the ring handstand push ups were several years right. ago. Right. Yeah, just every bit is ridiculous, but we're trying, you know, feeling our way towards actually yeah. following what gymnastics has been for right. centuries. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, well, look, the, the athletes get fitter. The tests have to get more rigorous. The first CrossFit Games had three events. If they did three events in the CrossFit Games now, like number one, Matt Fraser would win them all. And, and so would Tia. And number two, like people, people expect more. So there's an upper limit to how long the games can be. Nobody wants to watch a two-week CrossFit game. Like, you know, there's event 41 and uh, Pat Vellner is still in second place. You know, like, like come back in for day 19 of the 2027 CrossFit games. Like there's an upper limit on what you, you know, like. Tour de France. Yeah. You're right. Like what the athletes can handle, but also like what the city of Madison will let you do. Like, Hey, we need our parts back, Dave. You know, like there's a, there's a limit to what can be done there. So like, I think they're going for more expertise, which is why you see things like the, uh, you know, the, the freestanding handstand pushups and so on. You're trying to get more expertise without losing track of what happened. You know, the, 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 the roots of CrossFit, so to speak. It's it's a tough balancing act. That's a Castro problem, not not a Matt problem. So I, I think he does an okay job with it. I think the the one time they really went off course was the uh, the low banger, the thing with the ha- you know the hammers. I think that, that was probably, you know, I mean that happened, you know. But when you're going for the unknown and unknowable, sometimes you have to try new things, and so, you know you you got to try these events out. If they're a hit, you'll see them again. We've never seen the low banger again. Um, but I, I bet we'll see the freestanding handstand pushups again. So, you know, some of them are hits, some of them are misses, but you got to try and, you know, grow and expand. Yeah. So. Okay. So right now, what is valued in the sport? I think that's worth talking about. And the highest expression of any skill in the sport is in a metabolically demanding environment with non-complementary movements and all that. Yeah. That yeah. That's it. Contractions you're doing in the other movements in the workout are, you know, similar, same muscle groups resemble what mm-hmm. you're doing with the skill. So 
you know, burpees and ring muscle-ups. That'd be, sure. that'd be an example. You're doing... Yeah. Well, we can simplify that, that rather elegant explanation to do it well when you're tired and have to do other stuff. Right. <laughs> right? I mean, that's, that's what a Metcon is. Like, oh, okay, you have to do handstand push-ups. Great, I can do 40. Okay, roll a 500 first, then do 10 snatches. Now do 40. Oh, it's a little harder. Right? So that's, that's what we're after is the ability to express that capacity under adverse circumstances. Right? I mean, I've over, you were very elegant in your explanation. I oversimplified it, but I think both of us no, hit the extremes. The truth is in the middle. And so you wanted to make the point, too, of why Metcons are not useful oh. developing or acquiring skills. So, right. yes. So, okay. That's right. Let's think of it this way. Let's start with an example. Three athletes. Let's say four athletes, but one is going to get cut pretty soon. Four athletes. We'll call them A, B, C, and D. Athlete A can't do any ring muscle-ups. Athlete B can do three. Athlete C can do eight. And athlete D can do 25. Okay. And a coach program, hey, you know, my people need to get better at muscle-ups. Today's workout, the skills portion is 20 ring muscle-ups. You know, okay. Not for times, do 20. Okay, so athlete A can't do any, going to have to scale that. It's not good training for athlete A. So now you're left with three athletes, three, eight, and 25 ring muscle-ups. That training, 20 muscle-ups, not for time, is not equally suitable for each of them. And I think this example will illustrate skills development fairly well. If you look at the athlete who can do 25, that person's going to just stretch out, have a soda, knock out 20 muscle-ups, and go on to something else. They're going to be, you know, 7, 8, 9, 10, checking their phone, 11, 12, you know, 13, sleepwalking through 20 ring muscle-ups, right? Fine. Good for them. The athlete who does three is going to get up there and, okay, 10 sets of two. Okay. So 10 sets of two is either going to take them 45 minutes or it's going to quickly degrade into singles. Two, rest two minutes. Two, rest two minutes. Two, now you're at six. Okay. One, one. One with a chicken wing, need a long rest, miss one, one with a chicken wing, five minute rest, two, now they're at like 13. So that athlete, we're going to come back to why that's bad in a minute. The athlete who can do eight, I say eight or nine, eight, is going to look at this and go, hmm, four sets of five, six, six, four, four. They're going to think about it. And then they're going to go, I see how it feels while I do it. First set, oh, I felt good. I did six. Take a little break. All right, if I get five this time, I'm past halfway. I've been that athlete. We've all been, okay, so they get five. So they end up with six, five, five, four, right? And that's your 20. So you got three athletes. The only one who got anything out of that training was this, the middle one, the one who could do eight, who did six, five, five, four. Because skills development functions best with two, two things. The first one is cognitive engagement. You have to think about it because skills development, people say like muscle memory is a thing. And it is like, the classic example of muscle memory is like how to ride a bike. Learned it when I was four. Can still do it. Don't do it very often. Got a bike in the garage. If I want to ride around the block, I'll do it flawlessly. That's muscle memory. But muscle memory, it's really like the nervous is like memory is a nervous system thing. Your muscles don't have the capacity for memory. Learning a task is learning the ability to activate, to recruit, activate, and deactivate muscle fibers in the optimal sequence. Only the fibers you need and only for as long as you need them. That's the difference between a gymnast doing something flawlessly and me, a CrossFitter, doing something not that flawlessly is my sequence is not optimal. It might be pretty good, near optimal in some cases, but 
I'm working towards that optimal recruitment pattern. That's what skills acquisition or motor learning is. It's, it's, it's a neurological adaptation, not a physical one. So that's why you need cognitive engagement. You need to be thinking about it. And that's why the athlete with 25 uh, max muscle-ups gets nothing out of that training. They don't have to think about it. They just do it. So that's not great training to improve the skill. Now, it might be useful from a conditioning standpoint for that athlete to do a high volume of reps because in a Metcon 30 for time, they might want to, they're at 25, they might want to push for that 30. And those long sets can help. But from a skills acquisition standpoint, nothing's happening. They can already do, so it doesn't matter. So we'll come back to that guy because the natural reaction is to say, all right, well then do 50, buddy. Well, okay, you're going to get some cognitive engagement there, but now you have the other problem, fatigue. Fatigue is bad. You want cognitive engagement to be up and fatigue to be down for skills acquisition or motor learning. And that's why the first athlete is out of luck. He's the, well, the first athlete couldn't do any, but the one who does three is out of luck because that athlete can only do three. So he's quickly fatigued. Do 20. Well, I got three. You're going to be tired. So we've all seen athletes who, if you tell them do 20, they'll do it. It might, you know, I had a, a guy in my gym like, Matt, you know, what did you do today? Well, I did 30 muscle ups, but I'm also like went to the CrossFit games four weeks ago. So I'm, I'm pretty fit. You started CrossFit three months ago. He did his 30 muscle ups and had you know, blood on his hands. So there's people like that, but it wasn't good training for him. So the point is f- fatigue is a problem because two reasons. Number one, it reduces your sensitivity to the errors you're making. You can't have high cognitive engagement in a fatigued state. You just, when you're tired, you're not thinking. It's that simple. You're not thinking clearly. And there's neurological and physiological reasons for it, but everybody would kind of agree. And there's been studies done on like marathon runners that they're like, their vision, their field of vision narrows late in the race. And that's because they're so f- focused on that one task. That might be an extreme example, but it happens with anyone. When you have fatigue, you have less, like, less cognitive engagement and less sensitivity to the errors you're making. If you can't feel the errors, you can't correct them. The other issue is when you're tired, your movement patterns change. Fatigue on one level, there's multiple levels to it, but one level is just you can't recruit those muscle fibers. They need more time to recover. So your brain wants to do a task. It finds another way to get it done. That's often why you see the chicken wing, right? Like, well, your first eight muscle ups were good. Now your left arm's coming up and like, that's often fatigue. So when you do that, when you do anything, you learn that pattern. And when you learn an unhelpful movement pattern, it's very hard to unlearn. And of course there's, you know, the, the risk of injury when you're moving suboptimally, but when you are fatigued and you're trying to learn something, it's, it's, not, it's not a motor learning skills acquisition situation. There might be times where you, you have to compete fatigue. That's competition. And there might be some athletes who have a high skill level that doing an exercise while you're fatigued is okay. For example, like, you know, we, we were both in the military. We did a lot of push-ups. So if I had to run and do push-ups, it was never really a problem. I'd be fatigued, but like I'd done so many of those, but I wasn't, I wasn't like learning push-ups while I did that. I was just like exercising. So from a motor learning skills acquisition standpoint, cognitive engagement up and fatigue down. And I think the 20 muscle up examples kind of, you know, illustrates that. So, okay, to kind of wrap up this thread, the athlete who does three should be assigned like eight, you know, so because, four, because they're like, okay, I can do this in four sets of two, or I can do 
three, three, two, and they have to like, they have to think and work for that. So if they want to do a set of three and the second one feels off, they're going to let go, but they've already won the battle. It feels off. That's the high error sensitivity, right? All right. It feels off. Why did it feel off? Well, I, you know, pop my hips too soon or the pull was short or I didn't swing far enough, whatever it is, they're aware of it. So a correction can take place. That's skills acquisition. So that's why, you know, you got to give them eight. The athlete who can do 25 is the more interesting case because that athlete, well, just think about it, but you can't force yourself to think about something that's thoughtless for you. I mean, you know, and, and, and so you can't give them 50, you could, but it's unhelpful. Number one, 50 muscle-ups is a lot of wear on the body. A lot. I mean, no matter how good you are, like 50 times up over the rings, catch it on your shoulders. 50 is a lot. So I would not go that route. The other thing I want to talk about is like how to increase cognitive engagement for skilled athletes. So... Metcons will do that to an extent, but the fatigue load from Metcon is so high that you decrease the error sensitivity. There's a, a concept I talked about on the website, um, which is helpful for increasing cognitive engagement, contextual interference, right? I think you and I talked about that. So contextual in the context of what you're doing, interference, like breaking up what the training. So the, the classic example for this is like, I'm a good free throw shooter. I shoot 75%, but I want to get to 90 to mix up your free throws with like other jump shots and like other basketball shots, because they're all sort of similar, right? The biomechanics are similar, but the task itself, you have to think more about the free throw when you contrast it with the other similar tasks. So that athlete with the 25 ring muscle ups, and I do this with the people we, people we coach. If you program like, two sets of eight bar muscle-ups and eight ring muscle-ups, you're not giving them back-breaking volume. It's only 16 reps of each, but the switch back and forth will cause that athlete to think more about the similarities and differences between the exercises. And that increased cognitive engagement will actually make them better at both tasks. So that's where the difference between like actual skills training and motor learning versus like a Metcon. Because in a Metcon, you get what's called non-contextual interference, like muscle-ups and deadlifts, completely unrelated, right? Like it's interference. It's not contextual interference. The athlete isn't focusing on the difference between ring muscle-ups and deadlifts. They're two completely unrelated tasks. It's like deadlifts and, you know, washing your car. Like I can do them both, but they're very, very different. So that, that's an example of non-contextual interference. And the, the problem with that is, again, the fatigue that comes from, from Metcons. So contextual interference, last point on that, it only works for stuff you're really good at because you have to be to the point of low cognitive engagement to perform the task before you bring in the interference. The purpose of interference is to increase the cognitive engagement. That's why it's contextual. It has to be similar. So bar muscle-ups, ring muscle-ups, chest-to-bar, toes-to-bar, it, it enriches the training experience because the athlete comes to understand like, hey, this, you know, movement pattern where I push back on the bar on toes to bar and chest to bar, my torso you know, inclines backwards. That's similar. And then they, but it's different because I close my hips with the, you know, with the toes to bar and I, I extend my hips with the chest and they start to think. And if you can do 40 chest to bars, the last time you thought about it was like 2011. 
you know, so, so this forces you to think about it and that cognitive engagement actually makes you better at both tasks. Um, that was a lot. So anyway. Oh, that's good. There are two things that I want to add to that. Mm-hmm. And the first one is from Brent Fikowski and mm-hmm. he was talking about his training process and mm-hmm. how he videos himself every single rep to stay aware. Yeah, yeah. And how much the nugget is how much responsibility he takes for his movement. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, even someone as elite as him Mm -hmm. has little efficiencies to gain in his ring muscle up, for example. So now he has to do a lot of, he he has to get good at doing them fatigued because Mm -hmm. he has to train that because he can express that, he can adapt to that. Right. But he still recognizes that I can get more efficient. And so when that's his, it's a difference in intention when he's yeah. doing them paired with, when he's doing burpees and muscle ups fatigued mm-hmm. as fast as he can versus before the session with a different intention of let me do a few video myself. Let me compare myself to another competitor who does this really well. Yes. And how do I, gain some efficiency like in motor learning and for that to happen you need the environment to be simple you need fatigue to be low so that mm-hmm. cognitive engagement like you're saying can be high well i heard that that he records the training sessions you know even basic training sessions then we'll, we'll watch them later I, i've never spoken to him but there's certainly like a, a lot to be learned from that but to me what i what i hear that is like the opportunities for improvement and the you're in that like top 10 level are so small that you have to go looking everywhere. And like, I don't, he's not the strongest guy. You know, they're, they're he, like, he's never going to win the, the, the clean ladder or the snatch ladder. I think the kid from Brazil is going to own that for about 10 years. But um, so he's, he's all right. The, the cost of getting stronger, he's already very strong, would be staggering. Whereas the cost to find these efficiencies in his movement I think he can find them quicker and make gains that way. And so, yeah, it gets, I guess what I'm trying to say in a lot of words is it gets super competitive at the top. And those are the kind of things you have to do at that level. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. The, the second point I wanted to make was how this applies to weightlifting mm-hmm. because we've sort of been talking about it in the context of gymnastics. Sure. Sure. And like you mentioned, now that, Kids are starting out with doing weightlifting, doing gymnastics from a much earlier age. Way more kids are doing that now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So this is, you know, by the time they're 16, if they've been snatching since they were five, you know, it's like not much to be gained, you know, from a motor learning. Yeah. Yeah. All like Mm -hmm. nervous system. It's it's getting stronger now at this point. Right. Right. but right now, the current landscape, you have lots of people participating in CrossFit as a sport or CrossFit classes with three to four years or less of weightlifting experience. Mm-hmm. And you're still very much in the motor learning mm-hmm. stage of your journey in weightlifting. Mm-hmm. And so just because Team USA does some form of maximal lift every training day mm-hmm. doesn't mean that right, 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 right. you're going to adapt to that and benefit from that. So 
my point is care less about PRs. <laughs> That's my yeah, first. Yeah. Because you still have a lot to gain from an efficiency standpoint. And in order for that motor learning to happen, you need to take weight off the bar and do perfect reps and lots of Oh, them. absolutely. You know, this, this, these principles, like we talk about them from a skills and gymnastics uh, standpoint, but it applies universally to human movement. Um, weightlifting is so technical and so complex that there isn't even really a mechanism for contextual interference in weightlifting because you're, you're never good enough at it. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's so, it's so demanding and requires such perfection. Like the, the it's like, okay, that's great technique, go heavier. And as you get like, as you get heavier, your technique will break down. That's kind of what finding a new one rep max is about. It's like, all right, it, it's, you know, I used to tell this to people in my gym. I was like, all right, your, your snatch looks great at 95, not so good at 115. And they would get, you know, discouraged by this. Look, I can get, you know, Lu Jun out here. If he puts 700 pounds on the bar, he's not going to be able to snatch it. Like at some point, you know, whether it's snatched, probably like 450. Like if you make it heavier, even the super elite world champions fail a rep. So there's always like, a chance to get lighter and do better technique and strength and, and do absolutely doesn't matter who you are. And unless you're, you know, super elite Bulgarian performance enhancing drug users, those max out everyday programs that you'd hear, you know, the old, uh, you know, Soviet union athletes would do, or the Bulgarians are like, this is what they did in Kazakhstan. Well, yeah, there was no drug testing. <laughs> and, uh, the government was in on it, you know, <laughs> like, of course they maxed out every day, but for normal people, yeah, the, the, the motor learning, go lighter, be technically proficient in weightlifting all day long. Yeah, all day long. Yeah. All day. You know, it's, it's not exciting. Everybody wants to be like, wow, I, I, I snatched 250. Well, I snatched 135, but flawlessly 40 times. You know, like it's not as exciting to post on your social media. Like, here's a really good snatch at 135. Like, come on, man. You weigh 225. You're supposed to do that. But like, it's better to be like, you know, here's your PR. So yeah, absolutely. Slow it down, go lighter, do some slow pulls, hold the positions longer. All, all super important. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, and what was the other thing that you said? Care less about PRs? <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. I don't think I said this to you and it's, it's so stupid. I have to say it like the two eyes thing. You have like one eye on your training today and one eye on your long-term goals. That's why you have two eyes. So like do the best you can today, but keep in mind that fitness, whether you're a competitor or just like health oriented is a long-term process. Mm-hmm. So if it's a short-term process, cause your competition is next week and you're not ready, not going to get ready, pal. You're not ready. So it's always a long-term process. Mm-hmm. So yeah, like be, be, you know, intentional in your training today, but be thoughtful of your long-term goals. Mm-hmm. I put that on a t-shirt, <laughs> the games lab, be intentional, be thoughtful. And as you advance in training age, your PRs, your, your, your PRs, like in an absolute sense, come less often. Oh, I PR in nothing. I have, to, I, I have to invent stuff to PR in. Or your snatch. Yeah. It, they come less often. So as you advance in training age, you have to get good at evaluating yourself in different ways. <laughs> and yes. look for the smaller signs of progress that are still there. Yes. You have to be more attentive to notice that. Oh, 100%. I, I was saying a minute ago, like, I live that world because 
I found CrossFit age 34 and that was like a long time ago. So like I, I haven't, you know, PR'd an Olympic lift in a long time. So I just make stuff up to PR. Got right, low hang snatch. PR. <laughs> <laughs> snatch when I when I lower the bar into position from the high hang. PR. Yeah. <laughs> hey, that's the first time I've ever done 225 with that. Like, wow, that's great. You know? yeah, cool snatches. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, yeah. Right. Three burpees power snatch. 185. PR. <laughs> 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 you just make it up after a while. But no, I'm I'm kind of joking. But yeah, that the the need for increased attentiveness to high quality movement always goes up. It never goes away. And I think your Fukowski example was, was just pointing it out. Like, look, this guy's been on the podium, super elite in CrossFit, you know, and he still like videos himself doing burpees. Like, all right, cool. Like that's a guy who understands that high quality movement, that need is forever. Yeah. So, yeah. Anything you want to add? No, I think that's it. I think we got most of the skill stuff out there. And if there's feedback, we'll do more. All right, cool.